and community together. Today's scripture that I'm going to read is from Genesis chapter 11 and 12. So starting off with verse 27 of chapter 11 reads, This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Naor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, his son Aran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Candelans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 250 years, 205 years, and he died in Haran. The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all gifts of kindnesses and grace. Thank you for the gift of mothers. Uh, For those uh, here today and in our community who who might not be here today, where today is a very joyful time, where today is a day filled of of gratitude, uh, thank you for the gift of celebration. Lord, would you pour out your blessing? And for those where Mother's Day is, is a little bit harder, a little bit uh, heavier in our spirits, Lord, thank you for the gifts of your comfort and peace. For at the end of the day, Lord, even the best of human relationships uh, point us towards your perfect and unconditional love for us. Lord, you are the perfect parent. You are, the, you are our Heavenly Father. And you've given us everything we need in Christ. And so, Lord, today is about you. And we, we love you. We uh, we praise you. Uh, would you be here at this time? Would you open up your scriptures to us as I, as I uh, speak these things? Would, you, would it be your words, not, not mine? And each of us, would you give us your spirit as we uh, try to understand it? And uh, we, just, we just long to uh, be touched by you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, happy Mother's Day. Uh, you know, it's funny, in preparing for today, I was just like, oh, you know, we're just going to stick with the... Um, with the, uh, the, the series we've been going through, One God, One Story. I was talking to some other uh, pastor friends, and uh, you know, it's funny that I was like, uh, with one friend, I was like, hey, so what are you preaching on Mother's Day? He's like, yeah, I'm preaching on Rahab, the prostitute. And I was like, wow, okay, happy Mother's Day, um, which actually is a really cool, I mean, it's, it's, it's a really, it's going to be, it's a really powerful story. I can't wait to hear uh, what, what God's put on his heart in, in that as I listen to it later. But I have another friend who I happen to be hearing him set up uh, the next few weeks, looking a, w- a couple weeks back, he's looking at the series that they're now in, and it's a series of like life's tough uh, questions when it comes to the Bible. You know, things like, why, how could a good God allow pain and suffering in the world? And he said at the front, he said, look, Mother's Day is a couple weeks out, and I just want to apologize to all mothers in advance, because the day we end up on Mother's Day, we're going to be talking about hell. So right now they're looking at hell, <laughs> which I think is also, it's, it's, I look forward to listening to that too. Um, but today we're, we're continuing our series, we're going to look at Abraham and, and the blessings God gives us uh, through his call to Abraham. And, uh, you know, as, as we get into this, it's, it's important to kind of note that this is a tremendously important scripture. Even if you don't, 
identify in any sense of the word as religious, this text has changed world's history. I mean, it's so influential, not just for Jews, not just for Christians, but many look at this text as, wow, this is a big text. What is it? It is God calling for himself a people to follow him, to represent himself. And when the New Testament writers look at it, they said, church, Christian church, understand this, in light of Jesus' death and resurrection, Uh, from the grave, Uh, this calling that God gives us is for the church. It's for us as as people. Now, if you've been paying attention to the arc of the story uh, through the book of Genesis, this first book of the Bible, um, we've been kind of going through it as we're doing this Old Testament survey, kind of at a high level, but we've still seen a lot of the pieces of the ark. It starts out with God creating this wonderful uh, world for us to be in, and us just saying, you know what, no thanks. And then he redeems it, and he says, okay, mankind, let's, let's try this again, and we take it, and we say, no thanks, that's Noah's Noah and the ark. We didn't look at that, but that's the gist of that. And then what we looked at last week is he set things back up to be good again, and then the Tower of Babel, uh, no thanks, God, we're going to do our own thing. This text here is the beginning of essentially what's the rest of the Bible. Genesis 12 is a pivoting point where God calls out a people for himself. He says, you know what? I'm not just going to let mankind go off and do their own thing. I want to call some out to represent, to love, and to, and to be loved. Uh, so that's the text we're looking at today. Here's another way of thinking about it. We are seeing God's call, and it, it, what we see here is what it means to become a Christian. Um, or what it means, or excuse me, and what it means to follow him as his follower. So wherever you're at spiritually, there's something here for us to understand. Whether you're looking from the outside of the faith in, or you have been a follower for a short time or a long time, God's call beckons us into great things. Actually, it beckons us into amazing and greater things still. Um, so we're going to be looking at this call, and how we're going to break this down are, are in three ways. We're going to look at the origin of God's call, the content of God's call, which is essentially the call itself, and then the power behind the call. So the, the origin, the uh, content in the, in, uh, of the call, and the power behind the call. So first, the origin of the call. Uh, if you noticed um, when Amanda was reading, which by the way, didn't she do a good job? I kind of gave her all the hard names, and I feel so bad. Amanda, great job. Thank you. Um, Abraham it's interesting, this text, it's the, the, the part in chapter 11, which is a continuation from what we saw last week, um, is, it starts with Abraham's uh, past. And this is not a text that often gets a lot of light. I haven't really seen it studied or, or, or heard it preached before. It's Abraham's origin. And there's some interesting things here that, that, uh, that uh, came to me as, my, as, we were, as I was studying this. Uh, Abraham is out of the city Ur of the Chaldeans. Ur, that's such a cool name. Um, we, I have a map here for you. Ur is, you can see here, uh, up, upper left of the map is, of course, modern-day Turkey. Up, lower left is modern-day Egypt. Ur, if you can see it, is where the Persian Gulf on the bottom right kind of uh, meets uh, Iraq today. So Ur is in modern-day Iraq. We actually have very, there's no um, confusion over it. Everybody says, okay, we know where the ancient city of Ur is. Um, and here's what's crazy to me as I was studying this and getting ready for this. Ur is so, so similar to, what we, to the city we looked at last week, the folks who were building the Tower of Babel, complete with its own tower. It has ziggurat. If you weren't here last week, you're probably right now thinking, Zigga what? You know, Zigga, zigga who? Uh, ziggurat, if this next, this is what, so you know, uh, the Tower of Babel is often depicted in the movies or in children's books as this like spiraling uh, skyscraper. Actually, it, it almost certainly looked like one of these things, and they called them like uh, artificial mountains, where uh, mankind uh, built these, 
the places as tall as they could to, for, the, for worshipers to ascend as high as possible to offer sacrifices. And they are uh, representations of, of mankind kind of bridging the gap between heaven and earth. And what we talked about last week when we were looking at the Tower of Babel is we made this thought that uh, really uh, it's a symbol of us trying to be rulers of our own destiny. That's how the Bible sees it. Uh, become, we, we're trying to become our own saviors. Um, if you want to have that thought unpacked for you, I, I encourage you to, to look at last week's sermon um, online. But Ur of the Chaldeans had its own Tower of Babel, essentially. Uh, these guys were worshiping Gods and goddesses. Actually, the most prevalent one was the, was the moon god. Ur-Namu built this thing in 21 BC. The same one, by the way. Um, and we preserved it over the you know, millennia, 1980. Sorry, I'm giving you so much information. Uh, they kind of built some structure to keep it going. Um, he built it way back then for the god, god of the moon, goddess of the moon. It's still there today. Uh, they were worshiping idols, which if you know anything about the Bible... Um, it doesn't even take as far as getting to Exodus 20, where we get the great commandments, where God says, no, thou shall have no other gods before me, is the first commandment. Number two, don't have any idols before me. Um, don't build these sorts of towers, and yet Ur had it. This is the city Abraham, the great Abraham, was coming out of. What's more is not just the city, his family was also involved in this stuff. Uh, Joshua, looking, writing, looking backwards, uh, he wrote this, Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates rivers and worshiped other gods. Here's what this means, uh, it seems to me. When you look at uh, the introductions of a lot of these great characters in the Bible, Job, Noah, they're often described as righteous and blameless, not Abraham. We can look at Abraham's life with rosy-colored uh, glasses, but the reality is uh, Abraham wasn't this way. If anything, he was moving in the opposite direction of pleasing God. If anything, he was participating in things that were like what we looked at last week, the Tower of Babel, the same thing. Here's what this means. The origin of God's call in Abraham's life, the origin of the, your, the God's call in your life or mine is his initiative. It's his grace it's not we seeking him out. It's always he who seeks us out. I had a, uh, a friend for, who for a number of years, we used to got, get into spiritual conversations. He would always bring up the Christian faith. And, you know, I'm a pastor, I'm, I'm a Christian, and the, the faith is central to my life. But he was the one who was always bringing up these conversations. Not just about the faith even, but talking about Jesus especially. And I remember hard times would come up in his life. His aunt was dealing with some, was battling cancer. He'd bring it up. He'd want to talk about uh, Jesus and, and the Christian faith. Uh, you know, in my family, there were things going on. He'd bring it up. And then one day, I'll never forget this conversation. We were hanging out, and he just had one of these moments where he was just kind of staring off in the ground, and, he, and he's just kind of, he's just, things just kind of clicked for him. He just said, you know what? Oh, my goodness. All these things that I thought were coincidental in my life, and in the context of that conversation, good things as well as hard things, He's like, I, I no longer see them as coincidental. They, they're purposeful. In essence, he was saying, oh my goodness, I've seen that God has been chasing after me. He's been, make, he's been coming after me. Which the very next thought that came to him was this, oh my goodness, I'm not sure I deserve this. Um, the, 
becoming a Christian or the call to become a follower of God's uh, doesn't always look or, or sound the exact same way as with my friend, but it's always the same in that we, we, at the end of the day we realize that, oh my goodness, God has been chasing after us. Uh, he takes the initiative in our lives no matter our past. He loves us. He gives us grace. One of, one of the fun things about being a pastor is I often get to hear uh, people's testimonies, we call them, or people's uh, stories of how they became Christian. And what's interesting to me too is you can see this in a transformation of somebody who has put their faith in Jesus uh, and then understanding this thought is oftentimes when you, when you hear uh, someone sharing their story of how they became a Christian, early on it's, you know, I, man, I was looking for God or this happened in my life and I found God or, or something of that effect. And then there's a point where the, the testimony changes. Like, oh my goodness, God had been reaching out to me all the time. He reaching out to me, and I responded, finally. Um, it's like the great uh, English poet Francis Thompson described him, describes God. He is the great hound of heaven. I didn't want to put any of the stanzas of this, this poem up there because the English is harder to understand than Shakespeare. But the whole thought is like, man, I've just been, my feet have been trying to take me as fast and far away from God as possible, but his pace always outran mine. And even when I was yelling at him and saying, where are you? Why aren't you here? And demanding that he's here, he was always present. He was always loving, waiting for me. Uh, this is such an amazing thought to kind of reflect on. If, if you are here and you're trying to figure out what the Christian faith is, here it is at its, uh, at its core, at its beginning, is God loves you and he's reaching out to you. He, wants to make himself, he makes himself available to you and he wants you to respond. Now note, and, and you'll see this as we go through this text, Abraham probably would have wanted a lot more in this calling, a lot more assurance. God, give me this, show me this, and then I'll X, Y, Z. But God said, here's what I'm going to give you, and you have enough. Would you make a, make a decision? Would you, is, is that enough for you? And then for those of you who have put your faith in Jesus, whether it, you're at the place where you say, man, I've, I've been chasing after God, or you've realized it, it's an amazing thought because it's out of His grace not out of your past, if there's any guilt or shame there, or your present, if there's guilt or shame or thoughts of inadequacy there, but out of his love, his initiative, and his wanting to work in your life. That is the origin of the call. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful call that beckons us into amazing things. Well, what, what are these amazing things? What is the, the call itself? Uh, we see it here in the first few verses of, of Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, which... Uh, that's Abraham, his name's changed later on. Uh, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went out as the Lord had told him. Now the calling here, we can see really in two parts. We can see it as Abraham's part, and God's part, okay? So let's, let's actually look at those in reverse order. So first, what is God's part in this calling? Um, and the only way we can understand or really start to understand what God's calling here is in this text is to understand this word blessing, okay? Because this word blessing is just used a number of times. God blesses us. He blesses those who follow him. What does the word blessing mean? Um, if you know in the English, uh, you know, vernacular, uh, let me know, because we use this word for everything, don't we? Uh, how are you doing? Uh, I'm blessed. It's like, what? what? What does that mean? Like, help me understand. I feel like in the South, we use it as, a, as an insult. Oh, bless your heart, dear. 
It's like, no, don't bless my heart. You bless your own heart. And um, I had a buddy uh, the other day, he called me up. This was just a couple days ago, and I was thinking about the word blessing. I was trying to understand it. And he used the word, so I was like, ooh, I'm going to ask him, like, unpack it. What does it mean? Uh, how the conversation started was he was like, uh, this is a church planning friend of mine. Uh, I asked him, how are you doing? He's like, David, I just need to let you know uh, I'm getting ready to whine a lot about how it's so hard and challenging, all these frustrations that I'm dealing with. Uh, but I just need to know, after I'm going on and on and on, I just need you to know at the end of the day, bottom line answer is, I am blessed. I said, ooh, hey, I'm, let's hear about that, but what, is, what do you mean by that? And without skipping a beat, he said, yeah, it means I hate my life. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like he just started laughing, uh, church planner uh, uh, humor there. Um, what was really, what, what does blessing mean? The etymology of the word means to speak well of. But the biblical definition is much uh, deeper and richer than that. Um, to kind of give a stab at a definition, it means to have every joy, every benefit that our hearts or our souls or and our souls could ever need or long for. Uh, that's what the word uh, blessing means. Um, there's actually an origin story of the word blessing. We've talked about it, so I'll just go through it quickly here. Uh, you know, we've seen it even in this series when God created. Anytime he created something, he looked back and he said, it was good. The sun, the moon, stars, it's good. The animals, it is good. That was God blessing creation. That was him saying, this is a wonderful thing. I see so much potential here. It is good. That was his, his blessing. Which is why in Genesis 3, it's such a like jolt to the system. You know, Adam and Eve, they had everything they needed. It was all very good. And what did they do? In their rebellion, they said, you know what, God? It's not good enough. We feel like you're holding out on us. And so they rejected God's blessing. Um, Look, coming at it from a different angle, when God says, I will bless you, he talks about make you into a great nation. I will make you your name great. Let me ask you, is that ultimately what it's all about, to have a great name and to have a great nation? We know the answer to this. Uh, It's not. That is not the end goal. Why not? It's what we looked at last week. It is exactly what the folks at the Tower of Babel were searching out. Let's build this tower. We'll have a great city. Our name will be great. And what happened? God came down and thwarted those plans. Those are not the end goal. No, the end goal is for Abraham, the ultimate blessing was he would get everything his heart and soul needed in God himself. That's the ultimate blessing. Uh, here is the most famous benediction, which a benediction is, is, is literally defined as an utterance of a blessing. The great priestly blessing that God would give uh, his leaders in his church to, to say over the people. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, that is the priestly class, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious unto you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. You know, the Lord make his face to shine upon you. That's personal intimacy, is it not? The Lord give you peace. The word behind there is shalom. It's a wholeness. It's a wellness. It is total fulfillment. Uh, here's why I think this is so important. When you think about what is a blessing in your life, what do you tend to think of? You know what my heart tends to think of as blessings? It tends to think of comfort, easiness, maybe material possessions, 
or security. That's how I'll be blessed. But notice in any of these blessings that God gives, even including in Genesis 12, he's not saying, and, I'm, and I will bless you with an easy life. I will bless you with all comfort and material possessions. Um, no, this blessing is that we get God himself so that when things in life are hard, we'll be okay. Look, you need no, look no further uh, to understand this concept than to look at the person who is probably the most blessed ever, and that is Jesus, the Son of God. You'd think that if there was somebody living under this blessing, it's Jesus. In fact, when he came out of his baptism, before he had started his ministry at all, God the Father said to Jesus, this is my beloved Son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. Here's another way of, think, of hearing that same verse. This is my blessed Son in whom I, who I'm well pleased. Jesus was blessed. Now, did he have material possessions? No, he had hardly a cent to his name. Did he have homes? No, he was walking around, an itinerant preacher. Did he have an easy, comfortable life? No, he went to the cross, of all things. And yet, if you've ever read the stories of Jesus and understand when he faces hard things, even the good things, he has this out-of-this-world out peace about him, does he not? I mean, he's faced a lot of hard things, but even the good things. Hey, let's make him king. We're going to make you king, Jesus. No, 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 no. That's not why I've come. Um, that is the blessing that we receive uh, from God. That is the promise here. In fact, that's how the scripture ultimately points to Jesus. Remember, the, the whole series has been set up with Luke 24, Jesus saying, all scriptures point to me. Ephesians 1.3 says, blessed, to be, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is Paul writing to the early church, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. You just list some things off. He's called us, meaning he took the initiative. He came after us. He's given us forgiveness of sins. He's redeemed us. In other words, he's provided a way back to have a restored relationship with God. Let me ask you a question as we think about what this means for us and just kind of uh, work, it, work it through. Um, and this is especially, uh, I want to ask you, if, if, if you're a follower of, of his, if we are so blessed, if you are so blessed, what might be preventing you from saying, I'm blessed? You have every, everything, my heart and soul, joy, benefit that I need in him. What are the things that may, might be preventing you from saying, I'm blessed? You know, could they be the same things that we've seen since Genesis 3? And then last week, Genesis 11, finding security, comfort, understanding what's going to happen, uh, material possessions, the, the, like, the end of it. Or can we find ultimate blessing in who God is? Uh, that's God's part in the blessing. He's going to bless us. and He gives us everything we need. Uh, here's Abraham's part, or, or our part. Um, let me read it again with, with that thought in mind. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Um, here's a principle we see here in this text. is God blesses for us to be a blessing to others. He does not bless for the sake of that's the end goal. He does not bless for the folks who receive his blessing to hold on to it. The, the followers of his are meant to be conduits of his blessing to others. It is always that way. Um, and of course, probably the, the greatest blessing, um, even as this text was pointing forward to Jesus and Abraham and through him, uh, the church down the ages, the, the greatest blessing we can give to someone is if you are a follower of Christ, is to let him be known. 
his love be known. Make him available to others. We've talked about, we've kidded about this. There's that fun show on HBO that talks about how, you know, in the Silicon Valley or Northern California, Christianity is borderline illegal. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a scary thought sometimes to share or, or kind of surface and share our faith. But that is the call. If God has loved us as much, we've got to make his, his, his blessing known and, and available to others. But the blessing doesn't just stop there. Everything, every blessing that he gives us, whether it's comfort, whether it's if financial blessings, the homes, our gifts and talents. I had a fun conversation this week uh, with a friend who was saying, man, this is what I love about being in the Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley is so driven to change the world, to make a difference. Um, you know, coming from the Midwest, uh, he was saying that oftentimes what, what happens, and he's obviously speaking in gener- general terms, it, it being from the Midwest, he's saying, what I've seen is a lot of people kind of accomplish what they need to accomplish, and they kind of hit, hit cruise control. He said, what's, what's interesting about the Silicon Valley is you just got people so driven to make this different, change the world. Um, that's awesome. That's wonderful. But while a lot of those motives can be mixed here of, hey, let's change the world, let's make it a better place, while I make myself a, a good living while I make myself a buck. God's call is even further, is even purer than that. It says, don't worry about your own blessing. I'll take care of that. Bless, my blessings come through you. Would you live to bless others? Um, you know, I just, I can't think of a better example nor a more timely example uh, than to talk about mothers in this case. Um, you know, talking about people who take their blessing, collectively speaking, generally speaking, um, mothers are humans too, so there's, it's often, it, 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 you know, often this is sadly not the case, but by and large, mothers take the blessing they have, and don't they just live so selflessly? Just so outpouring, and not with any concern for what they get back, anything that they, they, they want to say. Um, and what's really best uh, in this scenario is when we're able to reciprocate some of that, but it is so hard to thank a good and loving mother. I, I try, I just, I'm so bad at it. I mean, just because I just can't from, I can't articulate it. Um, you know, when I was a little guy, the best I could do was we, you know, in the in classroom, they'd give you these uh, assignments to like write a card and draw hearts on it and stuff like that and write your, your mom a note. And I was like, I don't even know how to do it. So I, I, every year for like, from like First grade through like fifth grade, I'd write, okay, take the card. I love you, mom. Very, 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 very. I just very much. And it's just, you know, I mean, but I, you know, even as a kid, I wouldn't have been able to say, I don't know how to say it, but it's, that's just a reality. Uh, what can we do to just really express and say thank you to a mother, mothers who've been a blessing in our lives? The answer is nothing really except just kind of say thank you and our gratitude. How much more beautiful and perfect is God's love for us. Even the best of human relationships point towards his love, his kindness to us. And he just wants us to take the blessing that we have and make it available to us, uh, and make it available to others. But for sure, it's a daunting call. I mean, here's, here's how he puts it. This is the other part of Abraham's call. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, leave your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. You know, I mean... We need to remember that, okay, if you put yourself in those shoes, that's a scary thing. This is before they had maps. Uh, this, is, this is a not very mobile or, or you know, individualistic society. It was very family-driven. In other words, Abraham was being asked to leave everything. You and I, we might say, hey, all right, for a season, let's live in the city. Next year, we'll live in Silicon Valley. It's kind of ain't no thing to do that. But for Abraham, this is leaving everything, 
all his security, all his creature comforts, the culture that he knew, and setting out. And the best part, God said, to a place I'll let you know. I'll get there. Don't worry. Which, how, how do you handle uncertainty? I mean, could you imagine just being like, hey, just, just get going. Where? Where, God? Ah, I didn't, you didn't miss that. I didn't tell you. Um, but just get going. Um, look, of course, God's call does not always include within it, hey, leave your people, your nation. Um, we see plenty of times in the Bible where that's just not the, the reality. A lot of uh, people who become his followers are staying where they are and they're, and they're participating in this. But what it is, at the end of the day, for each person who does follow God's call, is saying to God, you know, I don't even understand how all this works out. I don't know how it's going to work out. Um, but if you're calling, it, calling me into this, if you're calling me into this season or this, into this area of life or ministry, if you've called me into I don't have it all figured out, but I'm going to follow because I know you're good. Um, you know, it's scary. I've had, I've had a lot of friends, when they were thinking about uh, becoming Christian, becoming a follower of God's, uh, they, you know, a lot of us, what we'll do is we get to that point, we're doing a cost-benefit analysis. Okay, I'll follow him, but what's this going to mean? Am I going to change this over here? Am I going to have to do this? Um, but, but God kind of removes that from the equation. He's like, you just, you just got to follow me. Just take what I give you, and you, you got to follow me. That's scary. But I can tell you, I've never yet met a person who has said, I'm going to follow after Jesus. I don't know how it's going to work out. And said, man, I've done a bad mistake. I have found a lot of friends who have been disturbed and bothered by and repulsed by churchianity, if I can call it that way, but never saying, I'm going to follow after Christ and see what he does. Or, if you are a follower of his, where he makes something available and you don't know exactly how it's going to work out and just jumping in, to see. Uh, it seems to me this is what The Hobbit is about. Uh, J.R., if you don't know by now, I'm a fan of The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. Um, J.R. Tolkien was a, a man of faith himself. The man, The Hobbit is this. It's this story. Uh, at the beginning of the book, or the movies, if that's your thing, uh, he, Hobbit, uh, uh, Bilbo Baggins is all about his hole in the ground of a home. You know, he has all the comforts that he needs. He doesn't, you know, he can talk to his aunts and uncles every once in a while, but no, no more than that. And he has his little garden. Everything's perfect. And along comes Gandalf to mess all of that up. It's like, Bilbo, we have an adventure for you. And at first, he's just like, no, I'm good. I have everything I need. But then when it starts to sink in a little bit more, he says, you know what? I'm not the right person. And the company that Gandalf brought, who were supposed to be his traveling companions, the dwarves, um, who are going on this great quest, they look at Bilbo and they say, yeah, he's not the guy Gandalf. What are you talking about? We need somebody who's a warrior. We need somebody who's this or that. Gandalf said, no, Bilbo, come. Come. And Bilbo starts to say, okay, you know, after a series of things, oh, okay, I'll go. And after he goes, he's just grumbling for a little bit. But things, things start to pan out. They get into trouble, and Bilbo actually is the one who helps them get through it. And at the end of it, this whole book, this whole movie, the movie actually really captures this well. After Bilbo has countless times in any number of ways happened to have protected them, the company, get the quest done, there's this amazing scene at the end of the movie where all the dwarves are looking at, at Bilbo as he's getting ready to leave back to his home. And they capture so well this little guy who looks so weak, so fuzzy or hairy, however you want to look, think of hobbits, and yet, at the same time, because of everything you've seen him go through and all that's been accomplished, there's this marvel of what has happened in his life. 
of who he's become and what has happened through him. My favorite quote of the whole book, again, J.R. Tolkien being a man of, of faith himself, is this. This is Bilbo talking to Gandalf at the end of the thing. These are the very last lines of the book. Uh, he says this, uh, looking back over the whole thing. Uh, then the prophecies of the old songs have turned out to be true, said Bilbo. Of course, said Gandalf. And why should they not prove true? Surely you don't disbelieve the prophecies because you had a hand in bringing them about yourself. You don't really suppose, do you, that all your adventures and escapes were managed by mere luck, just for your sole benefit? You are a very fine person, Mr. Baggins, and I'm very fond of you, but you are only a quite little fellow in the wide world after all. Thank goodness, Bilbo said laughing, and he handed him a tobacco jar. Um, Just went over his head, sort of, not really. But I think J.R. Tolkien is showing us what God calls us into. It's, it's, It's an adventure of a lifetime. Thing... We will be changed, and through us, things will be changed. And not just to the level of Silicon Valley, change the world, but changing eternity. Helping people understand God's love for them, even as we understand that and act as a conduit for that. Last thought. What's the power behind this call? The power behind this call is all of these amazing places in in, in this text where it says, God himself says, I will. Did you notice that when it was read? The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land. I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make you your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I will, I will, I will. This brings us full circle, therefore, back to the origin of God's calling, and that is again Not just the calling itself, but the calling playing out in our lives is always ever an act of God's initiative and an act of His grace. You know, it's so interesting to me. You don't have to look another chapter to find Abraham screwing up again, or screwing up for the first time. He follows God's call, and he just gets to Egypt, and he says, "Uh uh-oh, they're going to look at my wife, and they're going to think, oh, let's take her in, and and it's going to be bad. Let's say you're my sister. And he does that, and that's the reason why Pharaoh takes her in. So he's like jacking up his wife by trying to like, what could he have done while well, you're reading this text? He should have trusted God. That's his part. That's our part, just to trust God. And by the way, even when he had a hard time trusting God, fulfilling the calling in his life, God showed up, delivered him, took care of it. He redeemed hard things. And I think that's the point here. God is going to work out things. If you choose to follow him, he's going to work it out. I know there's a number of you, uh, perhaps, that are thinking, why am I not over here in my life? Why am I not doing this? I thought this was going to be the case. God said, I will accomplish my calling. Or I don't know about my past. I don't know if I can. I will just trust. I don't know if I step into this role or I step in to do this thing or if I step out to love somebody in this way, if it's going to work out for me, my family, my security. I don't know. God's saying, would you trust me? And that's our role is just to trust. Last thought in conclusion here is it seems like there are two fears, two objections, two fears that we will probably have in reading this text, fears that I have personally. Uh, One is I'm not sure I can trust God to do his part in this whole thing. And the other fear is I'm not sure I can do my part to do this thing. God's part, man, if I step out and I do this, will he really show up? Will he really take care of me? Will I really have this blessing we're talking about? And then my part is like I don't know if I can do this. I'm going to mess it up somewhere. I don't have the spiritual unction to do it. I don't have the, 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 the talents, the ability. 
I'm not sure I can trust God. I'm not sure I can trust myself. But that's the point of this text. That's how it points forward to Jesus. The only way we're going to be more like Abraham here is not to just try harder to be like Abraham, but to believe in the one that Abraham ultimately points to. He points to Jesus. The way we say, we've been saying that is he, Jesus is the true Abraham. Jesus left all security, family, wealth, you name it, status. He left heaven itself and he said, I'm going to follow you, God, the Father. And he went out into the wilderness, which he didn't know where that was taking him, which is ultimately the cross, taking our punishment for us. And so what he said, what we can do now is not just try harder and become more like Abraham and things will work out. No, we can, we can believe and trust in the one whom Abraham points to because in, in seeing what he has done for us, God is trustworthy. And in seeing what he has done for us, we know we can even live without fear of condemnation. Let's pray. Father, this is a, a very daunting call, but at the same time, it's so amazingly beautiful. And we're so thankful that at the end of the day, uh, when we even partially do a sort of okay job at stepping out, uh, <laughs> It's because of your working. And when we mess up, which is more often than we, we'd like to admit, um, you're still working things out beautifully. And that's not only true for us uh, individually, uh, that's true for us as a church. And we just long to take the blessings that you've given us and bless those around us. Bless Mountain View. Would you bless Mountain View, the Bay Area and beyond? Not only through current, but all the, 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 the local churches here who, who call on your name who have responded to your call, would you bless? We love you and we, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, at this time, we're going to continue uh, our, our time of worship by taking this morning's offering. If you are new with us, we, again, we just would love to get your information. Uh, prayer requests, write that on there. Or if you want to get connected further, uh, this can get, help us get you a lot of information. Uh, for those of you who came prepared to give, um, this is a time where we give back unto the Lord and worship a portion of what he's given us and a portion of how he has blessed us. Uh, we, we respond to that in worship. A number of you I know uh, give online as, as my family does. Uh, that's worship too. I, I encourage you to reflect on his blessing, his kindnesses at this time as we continue to worship God in this way.